Reutemann did not report on the stripper's retroview of perjury. Nancy Grace of CNN led the disgraceful posse looking to string up the Duke defendants sans evidence. On June 9, 2006, Grace interviewed a local North Carolina reporter who expressed the widespread sentiment that the case was falling apart already. Grace quickly whipped a Hitler mustache out of her back pocket and stapled it to the guy's upper lip. Well, I'm glad you have already decided the outcome of the case based on all of the defense filings. Why don't we just all move to Nazi Germany, where we don't have a justice system and a jury of one's peers? What about it, Joe Lawless? The New York Times, too, worked to keep the case alive, even as it began to crumble. Duff Wilson and Jonathan Gladder penned a piece in August 2006, stating, By disclosing pieces of evidence favorable to the defendants, the defense has created an image of a case heading for the rocks, but an examination of the entire 1,850 pages of evidence gathered by the prosecution in the four months after the accusation yields a more ambiguous picture. It shows that while there are big weaknesses in Mr. Nifong's case, there is also a body of evidence to support his decision to take the matter to a jury. Except that there wasn't a body of evidence to support it. As it turned out, the stripper accuser had told a second dancer at the lacrosse party to put marks on me to fake an injury after the party. Nifong admitted he hadn't talked to the alleged victim as late as October. DNA tests showed no DNA from the supposed rapists. Seligman, it turned out, had a solid alibi. Nifong, who was running for re-election as he was pursuing the case, ended up dropping it and resigning his job but not before the Times ran more than 100 pieces on the case. Even after the Duke lacrosse rape case fell apart, the liberal media wouldn't let it go. As students of Duke University and other elite institutions, these young men will get on with their privileged lives, wrote Terry Moran of abcnews.com. They are very differently situated in life from, say, the young women of the Rutgers University women's basketball team. The Rutgers basketball team had indeed been foolishly and nastily slandered as nappy-headed hoes by radio host Don Imus, generating national headlines. But the Duke lacrosse team had been accused of a brutal lynch raping which could have resulted in long prison sentences, and at the very least would follow them the rest of their lives. But Terry Moran was comparing the two. Somehow this didn't pass the smell test. In the aftermath of the Duke lacrosse fiasco, those in the media held their noses and admitted culpability. It was too delicious a story, said former New York Times public editor Daniel Ockrent. It conformed too well to too many preconceived notions of too many in the press, white over black, rich over poor, athletes over non-athletes, men over women, educated over non-educated. Wow, that's a package of sins that really fit the preconceptions of a lot of us. This was the crux of the matter. It wasn't that the media was fooled. They had the same reasoning skills as the rest of us, and it was clear within days of the Duke lacrosse allegations that the case was somewhere between the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot on the truth scale. So why didn't they catch on to the fact that all of this was less credible than Paris Hilton swearing chastity? Because they wanted it to be true. They needed it to be true. They had an agenda and they were going to ensure that the story played out the way they wanted it to. The facts were irrelevant. In the case of the Duke lacrosse faux rape, there was no real coordination between the media and other leftist power institutions.
but often that isn't the case. In situations of national importance, there is clear and convincing evidence of collusion between the leftist media and leftist politicians, interest groups, and other power brokers. And the media is the tip of that spear. They're the new IRS, sicked by the organized democratic infrastructure to destroy anyone who dares defy them. While the much-derided blogosphere breaks virtually every big story these days, Wienergate, Rathergate, Trayvon Martin, the mainstream media lag behind, and snipes. Tina Brown of Newsweek, a formerly great publication recently sold for the bargain basement price of one dollar, suggests that those in the blogosphere aren't real journalists. And she's right. She's right because all the real journalists are Democratic Party hacks. In March 2009, Politico, a publication that used to play at objectivity but has become an...